Welcome to Episode 3 of the Water Prairie Chronicles. This podcast is about supporting parents who have children with different types of disabilities. Our guest for this episode is a busy teenager who happens to have a visual impairment. I wanted to interview Olivia as a way of showing parents of young children with visual impairments what their children might be doing when they're going through the school years. To keep the episodes as close to 30 minutes as we can, we're releasing Episode 3 in two parts. You're listening to part one of the interview where Olivia explains her diagnosis and how it affects her vision. She describes her life as a young child and gives tips for parents and students who have similar visual impairments. Welcome to Water Prairie Chronicles, Olivia. Everyone, this is Olivia. She's um, agreed to come on today and to tell us a little bit about about her life and um, things that she's been up to lately. So welcome, Olivia. Thank you. Glad to be here. Oh, you're welcome. So, um, so tell me, what are some things that you've been up to recently? Um, let's see. Recently, uh, surviving calculus, um, which is the course I'm taking through the dual enrollment program. I'm taking courses at both high school and college. Um, and then I'm also taking three other classes at my high school. Um, and I'm taking Earth Science, um, Excel, like the Microsoft Excel, and oh, cool. Spanish too. No Spanish too. So you're taking the languages. Those are not always easy to do. <laughs> no, they're not. And I was really scared the screen reader was not going to read them, but I I got it to work. So we're oh, good. Oh, nice. You just mentioned the screen reader, so that's given a little bit away here. Um, so for those of you that are listening in who don't don't know Olivia already, Olivia has a visual impairment, but I'd like for her to tell us a little bit more about what that means. Um, so can you tell us exactly what, what, what it is that, 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 that we're talking about? Uh, yes, so I am um, visually impaired. I have, I'm not sure the exact like visual acuity measurements, but um, I have Labor's congenital amaurosis uh, which affects the retina of my eye. And so um, both the rods and cones, um, some of them don't work properly. And so the very center of each eyeball uh, <laughs> is completely blind. And so I only have like the outer circle of vision. And so it would be like if you took a like a contact lens and put it over your eye with the very center um, not like the very center where you can't see anything so completely blacked out and then the vision that I do have um, is limited so I'm completely colorblind um, although like if you had like a white piece of paper against like a dark background I would be able to see that so I can see contrast so, so colors in the peripheral are not showing up? Right. So I have uh, no color vision whatsoever, um, but I can tell like different, different shades of gray almost. Okay. So in the outer, so the center part, there's nothing there. Yes. Like if you're, if you're right. looking straight ahead. Right. But in the peripheral and the outer edges, how, how clear is that? Um, because I've never been sighted, I don't know, like, what <laughs> that is my hard to measure. <laughs> visual clearness would be compared to, like, your visual clearness. 
Um, I mean, to me, it seems clear, but like I said, I've always had this level of vision, so I don't really know any difference to compare it to. So it's a fair statement because I think a lot of times that whenever we think of someone that has a visual impairment or even full blindness, that it goes from having, like you said, what I see today to having what you see today. And that's not necessarily the case. So your your interpretation of what you're seeing is based on your experiences. And so it's not, right. is it, and, but you, you have had a change or have you had a change throughout your life? Um, no, so mine stayed uh, pretty stable um, throughout my life. Okay. Um, even though like I've been told I could lose vision as I get older, like as of right now, it's stable. Nice. Nice. That, uh, sta stable is always a good diagnosis, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so, so you said you've always had this. When did you first realize that you had something that, I mean, because as a baby, you don't know anything. You're, you just know who you are and this is just you. But do you know when you were first aware that you had a visual impairment? Um, well, I got diagnosed um, with LCA at six months. And so Obviously, my parents knew way before I had the capability and of knowing. And so, um, I don't know. I mean, I guess because it wasn't like I was sighted at two and then couldn't see at three. It was just growing up like um, normal, except I, I did struggle a little bit because I was like, well, all the other kids, like, on the playground can run and, you know, see where they're going. And if I tried to do that, I ran into a pole or tripped over um, a, a stick or, you know, whatever. So there was that uh, kind of bit of, um, I guess, understanding that I had to overcome to be like, okay, I don't see as well as these people um, as everyone else who's fully sighted. Which I guess it takes a while as a, a child because you don't have the capability to understand the kind of in-between of you can see, but at the same time you can't. Um, so it took me a while to fully grasp that, but I, I've always known that I do see differently than other people, even from like one, two years old. Okay. So, so it, it, it's what I was wondering, was it more elementary school or younger? I can remember, um, and for those of you listening, Olivia's family and my family have known each other since Olivia was in preschool. So, um, so we, we had different activities that, that we did together back then. And then we, we got to know each other better as, as our kids got older, but back even in preschool, when you were in common area that you were familiar with, people would have no idea that you weren't able to see because you knew where you were and kind of had it all paced out, I think. Yeah, and that, that's even true today. Um, when I know an area really well, the only thing that's giving it away is my cane. And um, back then in preschool, I, I had a cane, but I didn't use it very often because, you know, when you're a toddler, you're always holding on to your mom's hand or, you know, whatever. And so I wasn't independently traveling like I am now but yeah you're right uh people would get really confused because they would see me um navigating a place um 
perfectly normally because I have enough vision to be like, okay, at the couch, I turn left and go down this hall and there's the bathroom or um, just basically enough vision to see objects to know, okay, here's where this is in relation to the couch or, you know, whatever, whatever room I'm in. Um, but yeah, today it's a little, people know because I have my cane, but um, I was at this camp last summer and it took my counselor about halfway through the week to realize I can see big objects, but she was showing us some um, archery and she was like, what? I thought you could see, you know, I was only letting <laughs> those who were completely blind feel it because we're running out of time. I'm like, no, I can see you standing there, but I don't know what you're doing with the bow and arrow <laughs> to, um, to demonstrate how we're supposed to, uh, fire the the arrow <laughs> now some of our listeners may be a little concerned that you're firing an arrow and not able to see <laughs> your target a bullseye, so. <laughs> it was in a contained range i wasn't just in my backyard firing arrows right. <laughs> it was at a it was at a camp um for visually impaired students um and so it, it was contained. I knew where I was aiming. There was no one in the way. <laughs> did they use a beeping target for you or did you just have the, um, the range of where no, you were going? No, they didn't have beeping targets, but um, the targets, you know how they're, they're kind of swirly, um, like what a target looks like. They were against a dark background and so I was able to see the contrast of the, the light colored target oh, yeah. versus the dark background. So we were talking about when you were younger, when you, when you were an infant, did you have home services? Um, yes. So I don't know the exact timing, but I know around like two or three, I had, um, someone who would come out to the house and kind of work with me because, um, as a sighted child, you would see, you know, a anything that's in like a, a room or whatever and you'd be like oh i'm gonna crawl over here and explore this or i'm gonna you know um go over here and mess with this or you know whatever but as a blind child or a visually impaired you for me i had enough vision i knew there was stuff in the room and i was constantly constantly moving um <laughs> Any uh, person who would come out to our house was just like, I don't even know what to do with your child because um, she's so active and just <laughs> constantly moving. Um, but yeah, so they just mainly worked on, um, from what I've been told, like just kind of getting moving and which was not a problem for me. Yeah. <laughs> I did, I think I did have an occupational therapist, um, and I think maybe a physical therapist, uh, to help, like, with walking and stuff, um, but obviously I was, like, one, I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> you don't remember but... any of this. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so when you I turn, know... yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry. I do know when I was, um, a little older, I had, like, a TVI who would come out to the house and she would work with me on, you know, like, I don't want to say braille because, you know, at that age, you're still just kind of 
messing around and just playing with stuff. And so she was just more there to kind of be like, okay, we're gonna uh, match these similar feeling objects or, you know, put the, the cube in the the box and the cylinder in the in the hole or, you know, right. kind of matching shapes and stuff like that. Your your mom would know more about what that's called, but my understanding yes. is that's like a pre-braille lessons, getting your hands ready to recognize yeah. textures and things. Yeah, I think so. I'm, I'm sure there's some but... technical name for all of it. But... <laughs> yeah, probably. So, um, so when you turned three, is that when you went to preschool? Um, yes, I think so. I went to the Governor Moorhead um, preschool. And I think I attended for either one or two years. And then I went to another preschool, which was, um, it wasn't for VI kids, but it was kind of for like all, um, I don't want to say like all special needs kids, but it was more kind of the bridge between going from all VI peers to going in a mainstream classroom where I'm going to be the only student with a um, visual impairment and or other um, disability. Yeah. Um, well, and, and I then, think each state does it differently. I too. think so too. And like, because our listeners are all across the United States, um, would you say you, you had mentioned being at Governor Moorhead for the preschool, that's the North Carolina School for the Blind. So if you, whatever state you're in, if you have a child that age, that's that's where your child may end up going is to their school for the blind or whatever's in your community because you're not going to send a preschooler um, four hours away if you live in Texas <laughs> <Right>. or somewhere. <laughs> right. And I think there's only one or two states that don't have a school for the blind. And so each state should have at least one program um, or contact if, you know, you're in like Texas and you live in, I don't know, like some little town and the nearest is Dallas that's four hours away you know, they would at least have a contact. You can um, get in contact with someone to get the services that you need. So did you start kindergarten at, at the age that everybody else started kindergarten? Uh, yes, I did. So um, so parents, if you have a very young child right now, we're, we're talking through Olivia's earlier childhood just to give you an example of what you may be expecting for your child as they get older. If you have older children, stay 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 with us. We're going to be talking about late, later years as well. So, so just trying to to fit the the points where everyone's going to be hitting this along the way. So, um, so Olivia, I wanted to go back and ask you now um, a couple things. So, you talked about the cane when you were younger. Do you know uh -huh. how old you were? Did you use a pre cane, one of the little ones that you push uh, around first? The the PVC pipe. Um... Yeah rectangle yeah yeah i used one of those um i remember using that a little bit and yeah it it kind of helps just teach the the concept of hey you have this thing in front of you that's going to hit the wall before you run face first into it right. you know <laughs> do you so you can kind of grasp that concept before you hand a um two, three, four-year-old, a, um, you know, two foot long or three foot long or however tall they are, a stick, essentially. Did you, um, or have your parents ever told you, did you resist using that at first or did you use it pretty easily? Um, I 
I don't know, honestly. Um, I don't think I had a problem with it, but I don't really remember. They haven't really told me, so I don't know. So I'm, I'm, I'm assuming I'm assuming you, you you probably didn't have much trouble with it, or or they probably would have told you stories about about you you yeah, not not using true, it. That's true. I was like, <laughs> probably would have heard about it if I uh, resisted it. So, at what age did you get your first um, long cane, or or regular? I, I guess it wouldn't have been a long cane at that point, but like a regular white cane. Yeah. Um, let's see. So. I know I practiced with one um, in preschool and okay. at uh, GMP. And when I went to the other preschool before kindergarten, I know I had a, um, a white cane. And so I guess just kind of um, that second preschool because I was still like in the very early stages of uh, white cane. Okay. Like using it, like I would only use it, you know, occasionally, but I was starting to use it more often. Were you using the PVC pipe when, when you weren't using the white cane? Uh, no, no. I just kind of was able to um, navigate enough on my own. Okay. Okay. So you, so you weren't, you weren't in situations where, and like you said earlier, a lot of times your parents are there with you during that stage of life. So right. you're a little more sheltered. Right. The, um, so one question that I've seen posted a couple times that, that you can answer for is whenever you're getting a cane for someone, how do you measure what length they need? So it, there's like a general measurement it also depends on the person's walking speed. So normally, um, anywhere from your shoulder to, um, about halfway up your neck, although I'm a very fast walker. And so I have mine kind of go up to my chin, maybe a little more just to give me that extra bit of, um, warning because I'm a fast walker. And so, um, sometimes I need that extra warning before coming up on like a set of steps or something. Right. I would think if you have a, a longer stride too, would be the same. same yes. Yes, definitely. So, um, and then as far as Braille goes, when did you start learning Braille? You talked about um, those toys when you were little, little. Yes. So I started at GMP, they kind of had, um, since it was all VI kids, they had, you know, Braille and everything. And I guess that's when I started learning. Um, and then at the other preschool, I uh, was still learning Braille. But by the time I got to kindergarten, I basically knew enough Braille that I could, you know, do stuff at the level of a kindergartner. Like, okay. I knew how to write it, like, the very basics. Um, just, you know kind of like how my sighted peers kind of were. Like, I didn't know all the contractions and everything, but I knew enough to do kindergarten. Right. And at that age, the kids are learning just their ABCs, so they're not spelling right. complicated blends at that point. And, <laughs> right. and haven't really learned phonetic blends either. So you probably were right in line learning the yes. contractions at the same time as they were learning the blends with the sounds. Mm -hmm. Did you learn print 
as well? Um, yes. I, I don't know really how I was taught print, but I do, um, I do think I worked on it a little bit with, uh, my TVIs in preschool and stuff. Because I do remember in kindergarten, I would try and do <laughs> some of the writing in, um, print and no one could read what I wrote because you've got this <laughs> near blind child trying to write print but I was still learning that hey I gotta use the braille writer this isn't gonna work but it, but it you know it is part of the education you were hearing about it throughout the day as your teacher's describing different things based yeah, on the like visual part of it I just wanted to try it out you know like, right <laughs> all the other kids are doing it why can't I you 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 just had a secret weapon that they didn't have as far as being able to read and write the braille at, the, at that age. It's, <laughs> right. Because I'm thinking at five, that's that's a lot to have mastered already. Yeah. With it. Yeah. But if you want to read and you want to write, you're going to learn it. That's yes. That's where it's accessible to you. Right. So um so skipping ahead into elementary school, middle school during those years, what are some of the accommodations that you've had at school? Now we've talked about Braille, so you would have had um things in Braille so, for you. So in elementary school I had very little technology. I was doing almost all of my work in Braille, both reading and writing. Um in like uh, late third grade, early fourth grade, I was given an iPad with a refreshable braille display. It was this tiny little uh, thing. I think it had, oh, I don't even know, maybe um, eight to 12 braille cells. Um, I, I mean, it was really small. And I just used uh, like that uh, connected by Bluetooth to an iPad with voiceover. And um, I would write some of my assignments on there because as you get to fourth and fifth grade, you know, you're writing more like paragraphs and, and stuff like that. And so obviously typing that out in Braille took a long time and I needed the tech skills going into middle school. Um, and so I started, I had all my assignments in Braille, but I would complete some of them on the iPad and refreshable Braille display. So you were talking about completing them on the iPad. How were you, mm -hmm. how were you inputting the writing that you were doing? Um, I was writing, so with the uh, refresher Braille is what it's called. Um, you, on the eight to 12 Braille cells, you can read what's on the screen. Um, and above that, the, the Braille cells, there's a, uh, keys where you input you literally type braille okay. and it puts the print onto the uh the ipad screen okay so it, so it's like a small little braille writer that attaches to uh, it. it yeah pretty much okay well that's that's interesting I, I never saw that i'm thinking eight to ten cells you have words longer than that oh yeah i mean this thing was old like back then um obviously technology was different and the whole refreshable braille display thing was still fairly new so at the time it was a rather new piece of technology but now it's like 
you tell a blind person they have to do everything in eight to ten cells and they'd probably cry you know <laughs> i'm just i'm just picturing like how many times cells. you'd have to reset your hands just to yeah. to read a sentence much less a long right. word <laughs> wow well all right so we had so we had that but then so that's technology but what other you you would have had other accommodations too for your environment for testing and things like that um yeah so i have um and even back then a separate setting for testing so because back then i was taking all my tests in braille and so writing on the braille writer um oh. it's very loud and yeah <laughs> The other 20-some sighted peers in my class are not going to appreciate me clunking out answers while they're trying to take a test. And because of the braille, I got extended time on tests. So if um, my sighted peers got an hour to take a test, I would get two hours. Okay. Um, because it takes longer to read and write the braille. I also had a um, talking calculator. Uh, so for math, I don't even know what type of calculator was back then. It was this big, like, six inch by six inch square. It could do very basic uh, calculations, but that's what I used um, all throughout elementary school. Whenever your classes would do a video in class or something like that, mm -hmm. were did you have audio descriptions or anything or just listening to the context? Um... I, it kind of depended, but um, most of the time I did have someone in there describing to me um, what was uh, happening in the video, especially if it was like a math video or something like that. Well, that's, that's what I was thinking, because a lot of it is so visual. The, I mean, literacy yeah. in general is a visual concept. And, um, and you were talking about the, um, having the TVI coming out to the house when you were little. Mm -hmm. I remember when Emily was an infant, one of the workshops that I went to was on how to teach literacy if your child's not able to access visually what you're doing. And, you know, so from starting from day one, we we learn by what we see. And mm -hmm. so in your case, you're having to learn in a different way. You're seeing some of what's happening around you, but not the not the same level of the others. So having to find ways to modify that through through touch, through description and sound. It sounds like right. that was part of it. Yeah, and so even if I wasn't able to get real-time audio description, um, I would see my TVI uh, almost every day back then. And so we would kind of go over concepts and stuff with her as well, like um, maybe a math concept that was taking a little longer for me to understand. And um, I did have my TVI in the classroom for math class. And so I had a Braillist and a TVI. So my Braillist would kind of be in there to interline my work and um, make sure I had everything I need. And then at, uh, when it was time for math class, my TVI would come in and work with me. That way, like um, if you were learning how to add like, I don't know, like a three-digit number and a three-digit number, how to set that up spatially on the Braille writer and how to do what um, they're doing on the board in Braille. Right, right. And that, that's something that I don't think everyone thinks about, that there's it, it's more than just listening and understanding what's being said. A lot of these things, like you're saying, with, with numbers, you have to know how to line them up 
or you can't right. do math. I mean, it, it only right. works one way. <laughs> yeah. And even if it's not, even if it's not on the Braille writer, you need to, to know, like back in first grade, when you're adding apples and apples, how you're, how you're adding these things together. So, so there is some modification that has to happen to make it an even an equal um, education for everyone that's coming in. Right. So still thinking about those elementary and middle school years for parents who have young children now who have a visual impairment, do you have any tips for them as far as how they can help their children in the next and the years to come as they go through elementary school and middle school? Exposure to technology is uh, definitely important. Um, I was very behind in knowing technology, even though I did all of my coursework or most of my coursework, I should say, on a braille, uh, braille display and iPad. Obviously, you're not going to go through a job with an iPad and a, a um, braille display. And so definitely by fourth or fifth grade, starting to learn and understand at least basic keyboarding and uh, screen reader skills is uh, definitely important. And obviously, no one expects a kindergartner to uh, do their coursework on an iPad, but um, definitely by second, third grade, um, iPad and refresher braille. But um, definitely understanding the the basics of uh, just braille and how equations are laid out like for math uh, is definitely helpful going into using technology because you um you can only feel what's on those uh 10 or 30 or 40 braille cells um and so it's harder to get a feel for the overall equation like you can in Braille. So understanding the whole spatial format of um, how something's laid out is definitely, definitely uh, beneficial. So you were talking about screen readers. Is there a screen reader that you recommend? Um, I mean, I have my preferences, but... <laughs> well, what, 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 what is your, your preference for now? I... I like um, NVDA, uh, non-visual desktop access. It's a free um, screen reading software for Windows. Uh, there's another one, JAWS, Job Access with Speech. Um, that one you have to pay for, and it's like a $1,000. Wow. Luckily, the school will pay for it for you. So you can get... Um, you can request uh, like a student subscription or whatever, and the school will cover that for you. Um, and then for the iPad, uh, VoiceOver, which is like the, the same screen reader you would use on the iPhone or um, smartwatch or whatever, um, if you were visually impaired. VoiceOver is just on the iPad. If you go into settings and accessibility, you'll see it there. You don't have to download it or anything. Okay. So, that, so that's that the nice thing about have. Apple is it is right there ready to go. <laughs> it's, I, I know I've, I've learned um, that e even for typing, I, I like the responsiveness of the voice dictation better on yes. that. Yes. I use the voice dictation all the time. Because typing it out is so slow on 
uh, a phone or an iPad. So do you have any um, tips for the kids themselves? Um, you know, especially kids that are maybe in, in kindergarten now, first grade, they're not really thinking about the next few years, but um, as far as not just learning, but just social interactions with friends and things that they may want to do? Um, let's see. Well, uh, I would say kind of having patience with uh, your classmates who may not understand fully your visual impairment or whatever else you may have, because um, it is hard for uh, younger kids to understand. Um, and even the kids themselves who have the disability, you know, hey, I'm different, um, but that doesn't mean I can't do everything like um, everyone else can. So um, just kind of knowing that just because your classmate may say something a little funny or, you know, the the classic, how many fingers am I holding up? <laughs> they They're trying to figure out, you know, what or I would at least hope they're trying to figure out, you know, what you can and can't see to um, better help you. And they're not just doing it to be obnoxious. You know, of course, there are some people who do that just to be obnoxious, but um, just kind of explain it the best that you can. And obviously it's different for um, a different person to person, but um, yeah, just be uh, open about it um, and you know share what you're comfortable with but if you can get one or two people to kind of understand what you know you have or whatever that can really really be helpful later on do you for, for you personally when you were younger were you were you the type of kid that would rather someone ask you what you could or couldn't see or would you rather them not ask you at all um let's see well it it kind of depended really because um back then like when kids are younger they they don't just go up to you and be like hey you know how much uh can you see if you don't mind me asking they're just more like can you see this or you know <laughs> can you tell me this or you know so, um, and back then, I probably, I did get annoyed when kids would come up to me and be like, can you see this? I'd be like, no, I'm visually impaired. Stop it. <laughs> you know? But, um, yeah, I mean, today, it's not as bad because I'm interacting with, um, you know, peers my age and adults and stuff who kind of understand that walking up to someone and holding up fingers and saying how many fingers am I holding up is not an acceptable way to know how much someone can or can't see. You've been listening to the first part of my interview with Olivia. The second part of the interview is listed under episode number three, part two. Be sure to listen to that part as Olivia gives some tips for teachers who work with visually impaired students, some of the activities she's involved in, and plans for the future. Olivia was a national finalist in the 2021 Braille Challenge. If you're not familiar with the Braille Challenge, it's a national competition for visually impaired students. They go through some pretty rigorous testing to prove their skills in reading and writing Braille, as well as having some fun built in between sessions.
It's a great way to get connected with other visually impaired students.